Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 77, That Ain't Broadband, recorded December 9th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're going to have a look at DSL, and we don't mean broadband. We don't, we're not talking about internet um, connectivity tonight. We're talking about damn small Linux. That's the last time Shut I will say mouth. the name of the the uh, product. From henceforth, uh, it will be referred to as DSL. Hey, Mark, before you started, I have a question for you. Okay. What did the fish say when it hit the wall? Um, I don't know. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Ooh, that so, was horrible. I it goes well with the topic. Yeah, here. it's a good one. It's a good one. It, it reminds me of that scene in, uh, um, what's the movie? Uh, Vegas vacation. Vacation. Yeah. Vegas Vacation. It's uh, They're at the Hoover Dam, and the guy's like, I'll be your damn guide for this damn tour. Feel free to take all of the damn pictures you like. Um, and it's not one profanity in the whole scene. Right. So, so yeah, I wanted to, you know, you can't often do a grade school joke, uh, and not sound dumber er so <laughs> dumber er okay i think that actually did it right there yeah um, that that finished it so guys yeah. i just got here literally moments before we started recording i just walked in the door i spent uh, the tomorrow is my 18th wedding anniversary wow um, and in celebration Congrats. of that um i took my wife to savannah georgia uh, for the weekend, uh, we stayed uh, at the Weston Resort there because it's an off-season and that's a golf resort and people don't generally play golf in the middle of December. We got a great rate um, and did some tours of the the historic old town Savannah and it was really cool. Uh, but we I literally walked in the front door, walked, ran down the stairs with my Taco Bell in hand and sat down and started setting up while munching tacos. So... I have done, you know, I have no idea what's going on in the world. So this new stuff, I've been gone. We left Friday, and I just got back, and I didn't, I didn't, here's how much I love my wife. I didn't even take my laptop. Holy smokes. Yes. Can I, I don't believe it. <laughs> was she just as shocked? Did she have a coronary? Well, she actually was wondering why I didn't take it. She, she expected me to. Uh, but I had my smartphone, so I wasn't totally disconnected. Um uh, but I only used it for a Google Maps was amazing. When you're in a city like that, uh, not the navigation, which I usually use on the phone, but just the actual maps. So we're in the city, you know, in this metropolitan area, city I've never been to, don't know anything about. And we want to go to Leopold's Famous Ice Cream. So I search for Leopold's. I click walking directions. And then we're just walking down the street following the map. It was, it was great. We had uh, dinner reservations at a place called Alligator Soul. Excellent food, by the way. <laughs> cool. um, awesome. And uh, I literally never even looked at the address. I didn't know where it was. I had no, it never even occurred to me that my technology might fail. I just spoke, used my voice uh, navigation, said Alligator Soul, popped up directions, and we walked down the street following it. And, um, you know, if my phone battery died, we would have been totally lost, literally lost. Had no idea where we were going. But uh, it, it just made me realize how much we've come to depend on technology. That's funny and sad all at the same time. Is that and, resort the one they filmed The Legend of Bagger Vance at? Uh, nobody mentioned that. 
Oh, but okay. I did well, see the I did see the the square where uh, Forrest Gump was filmed. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I asked where the bench was, and they said when when they packed up and left, they took the bench with them. What? <laughs> Bummer. It wasn't a real bench. It was a real park, but it wasn't a real bench. It was a prop bench, and they took it with them when they left. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. That actually looked like it was bolted to the cement, though. That's why I said it just surprised me. Wow. Yeah. Well, maybe they did. They, I mean, that's that's a Hollywood thing to do. They would actually dig a hole and pour, uh, pour cement. Uh, it was. They had some interesting things about that. They had traffic traveling the wrong way because it looked better on camera that way. So they literally diverted traffic and then made it go the wrong way down a one-way street for that filming. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the things Hollywood will make you do. And that we let them get away with. Yeah. But lots of movies have been shot there in, in Savannah. Uh, it was there was a long list of them. It's also if you if you believe tour guides who are paid to tell you this, the hauntedest city in the country. I don't know mm. what the measure of that is. If there's like a you know Scoville scale of some sort for ghost hauntings, <laughs> I don't know. But well, uh, no, you you find the one metric that yours is the most in, and so you're the most haunted city in America. Asterisk, right? Uh, and then the asterisk <laughs> says. Along the 36 parallel 49 right. minute inclination or something like that. Yeah, it's so. like one of my favorites was uh, th- I saw like seven crab shacks uh, signs for crab houses say voted best crab shack. And and I thought, yeah, we went back in the back room and had our, asked our staff, who's the best crab shack in Savannah? We are. All right. That's it. Voted best crab shack in, in Savannah. Yep. Is this the best crab shack you've ate at in the last 10 minutes? Why, yes, it is. Yay! (laughs) My my, uh, ninth grade English teacher used to say, figures don't lie, but liars figure. That's right. So uh, anything interesting going on in your lives? I guess not. Okay, moving on. Chris? (laughs) I just, Chris is, I want to point out Chris's dedication to the show. His wife tried to give him cookie dough. And he said, I can't. Right. I'm podcasting. That's right. I did. I turned it down because I knew how much my my uh, EDL listeners would rather have the show than watch me eat cookie dough. I told him we and would I'm wait sad. while we ate cookie dough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it, it would take thing, a while. That was a chunk. That was like that big around. So what? Two bites? So that was... <laughs> Uh, for the non-audio listeners, that was uh, or non-video watchers, that was a great uh, uh, moment there in, in radio. That much? Yeah. About, no, really. Uh, it was that big. Size of a foam basketball, the little kid foam basketballs. <laughs> that better, Mark? That's an odd description to go with. Anyway. Yeah. yeah maybe something like a baseball. You know, I, I was going to go with the size of a bagel. A bagel. That, that's yeah. that's a, a reasonable representation of the wad of cookie dough she tried to give you. Okay, cool. that works too. Fine, be that way. <laughs> well, I was going to say something um, about my new machine. I'm sure listeners that have been listening for a while knew that I built this new rig uh, towards the end of summer. I have come to the fact that I really, really love this thing, considering I can do this podcast and since we're we're our topic today is you know damn small Linux, there now I can just call it DSL. Um, I can actually have the thing running in a virtual machine while I while we go over it. So it's kind of one of those things. It's a I didn't think I'd ever get to do this. 
And it just goes to show, if you spend $3,000 on hardware, you can really get a good computer. Wasn't that expensive. <laughs> okay. Only two and a half. Wow. You can still get a really good, but you know, in mathematical terms, that is three. So. You could have bought a MacBook for that. Or a, or a Mac- yeah, a low-end model. Used. <laughs> on eBay. Yeah, from That's a, right. yeah, or from a pawn shop. So from a... Uh, um, for the geeks in the audience, I know we don't have many, but for the few of you out there, uh, you might be interested to know that the Voyager Voyager One is still going. Um, it hasn't actually been assimilated into another culture and made into a giant probe called V'ger yet. It hasn't got far enough yet, so it will soon. So where's it going, guys? I, I tried to lead you in there, and you just it didn't work. Well, it has re- it has reached the uh, limits of the solar system, uh, and it's re- something called a magnetic highway. So I guess you know it wasn't fast enough for the magnetic interstate, so it had to go to the magnetic highway leading to interstellar space. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, just some background: it was launched 35 years ago, and it is now approximately 11 billion miles. Uh, and it takes radio signals 17 hours to reach Earth from there. So, and it's on it's on tap to become the first and only at this point man-made object to leave the solar system. So, I uh, came across this story and I thought, wow, you know, I don't often think of the Voyager spacecraft, um, but uh, it would be kind of cool to talk about and mention it just for history and the coolness that we launched something that is still going 35. I mean. Think about the one think about the technology they had 35 years ago when they launched this and it is still going and uh it's just kind of cool. So, well, let's let's not overdramatize it. They it was like they launched it out of a slingshot. And, right. And the rock just hasn't fallen yet. Um, right. So, you know, it's 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 not like the the thing is doing anything anymore. It's still taking pictures and sending signals back, but in terms of its own propulsion, um Newton is working doing the work at this point yeah right. but it's still what i find impressive is the fact that it's still sending stuff back you know how often does cell your cell phone drop <laughs> yeah. and yet this thing is still sending it's it's you know magnetic or radio waved pictures back to us even now 35 years later yeah just to it's give just, some sense of scale um the the sun is 10 light minutes away one one-sixth of a light hour away. This is 17 light hours away. So a little rough math there. It's about 93 times as far away as our own sun is. Yeah, so that it's still sending signals back is awesome. And the fact that we can still detect those signals, I think, is pretty awesome, too. Uh, you know, the antennas haven't got chopped off. You know, it's not, I guess it's probably like an omnidirectional thing, but they are strong enough and powerful enough to stand out against the regular background radiation. So pretty neat. Um, I thought it would be cool. And so if, uh, if anybody out there can figure out how to work those LPs when they pick it up, because I'm not sure we'd know how to, if it came back to earth at this point, if 35 years from now, if it did a, a loop and came back, uh, we wouldn't know how to play our own records. But we expect somebody else up there to be able to figure it out. <laughs> Would anybody even remember it? You know, if it if it just like crashed somehow in like the ocean and survived and 
and like pick it up and go, what the heck is this? There's aliens out there. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't and that, they look like us. That, what was that terrible? The Sphere. That was roughly the plot of the movie The Sphere. Terrible movie. Yes. Um, very terrible movie. Um, although I got to admit, I like Samuel Jackson's character because he hated Calamari as well. So I love Calamari. It's awesome. I'm sorry. But it won't like make the, random poisonous snakes appear out of nowhere for no reason. Yay. Uh, so this whole 3D printing thing is getting out of hand. Now we can print weapons with it. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about 3D printing last week, and uh, I came across this story like, literally monday and i thought hey we talked about 3d printing so here's just another thing um this guy printed (laughs) he printed a gun and he was able to fire six shots with it before you know the pressure and the heat and everything uh destroyed the gun and made it unusable so um i mean you know i guess in one hand it's nothing new people have always had the ability to make projectile based weapons you know whether it be you know a slingshot a bow and arrow a homemade crude kind of gun or whatever but now you know you can do plastic not detected by metal um i guess i don't know it's just kind of it was just an interesting story um i thought it was cool and i wanted to share it so is there a a seven day waiting period to build a handgun (laughs) Uh, no, it is not illegal for you to build your own gun. It is only illegal if you try to distribute it to someone else. And actually, there's kind of a gray area on if you give or sell or whatever. So the laws have not caught up with where the technology is heading, I guess. When I was in high school, a friend of mine built a, a projectile launching device out of an erector set. It was rather ingenious. Um, it was, uh, it didn't really have a barrel per se, uh, and not much of a combustion chamber. I don't know if it would have worked, but we were all too scared to try, but I mean, it held a 22 bullet and it, he had, a uh, a, a, basically a, a pin that would, would strike the blasting cap and we were all sure that something would happen, but none of us had the uh, courage to see what that something was. <laughs> Come on, Mark. You should have just pushed the button. <laughs> You know, you could just stick a little metal tube in there, uh, surrounded by the Legos, and no one could see it. And people would think, "Oh, look, he has a toy!" Bang, you're dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of, a, it's a scary thought that that could happen. Um, uh, I don't know. Guns are simple in theory, but they're actually somewhat complicated to make. You know, and, and right. this guy obviously had some 3D drawings based on I don't know what. Maybe maybe he made them up himself, or maybe uh, 3D scanned a real gun but that's kind of cool that he i mean that takes a lot of courage to have fired the first shot let alone five additional ones no kidding and apparently um i read another story um that just talked about it in theory this has been several weeks ago but apparently there are files out there of guns that you know a do the handle and all that and i think you have to have some type of insert they won't don't actually show there's something, I don't know whether it's just the firing mechanism or the barrel or whatever, but there are files available on the internet for downloading and you can, that you can download and then print your own gun. So, but again, 
you might get one shot or maybe up to six, depending on, I guess, the quality of printer, the quality of material, uh, and maybe the caliber um, or what is it, powder weight of what you're shooting. I would guess powder weight would be probably the biggest – powder weight and caliber would probably be the biggest issues you'd have with it. I, I kind of laugh so. because it, it, it kind of makes me laugh when I think about it because before the show today, I was playing Borderlands 2, and there's a gun – in that game that you don't reload, you throw it away. Huh. So that'd be kind of like this gun. You use it till it's empty and throw it away. Print a new one. So that's just kind of interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to uh, share that since we talked about it last week. According to the show notes, we have a listener comment that I can't find. I don't remember sending it, but apparently I emailed it to the guy. So, one of them is going to read that to you in a minute. But before we do, Seth has a question. Uh, hey, everyone. This is a way for you to be directly influence the direction of our show. We uh, There's a Skype competitor called – how do you pronounce that? I'm not even going to try. I'll make something up. Ikiga? Yeah, E-K-I-G-A. It is a Skype rival, and they have recently came out with a new version. And – we want to hear from you. We currently do the show in Skype. Would you like us to attempt to do a show in Akiga? Now, if you vote overwhelmingly to say yes and we load it and can't get it to run, then that will be our show. We tried to <laughs> program. It's crap. We're sticking with Skype. But um, if we can get it to go and, you know, and it's reasonable, you know, if you want us to. We'll try it, and it might turn out to be great, and we'll never use Skype again. Or, you know, it might prove how awesome of a show Skype or how awesome of a program Skype is. I have uh, I have used it in the past. As you said, there's a new version uh, that, that needs to test. I would love to move, move away from Skype uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, not just the, the whole freeness issue. I, it would be nice to use an open source thing. Uh, I would like to see an open source thing exist, frankly, uh, that is as good as Skype. Uh, but also, it's you know it tends to be problematic, uh, and it's owned by someone else, and they make changes without telling me, and I turn my m- m- machine on, and yeah, I'm forced to update. So there's a lot of reasons I don't like Skype. But the fact is, right now, in my estimate, it is the best free, paid, or otherwise um, internet communication device period it's just the 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 audio quality is superior to everything else i've tried i've looked at all sorts of stuff including ikiga uh and i couldn't even make a single call with that when i first tried it but i'm willing to give the uh, new version a try and see what happens so again uh edl land this is up to you do you want us to use it do you care uh we would like to hear from you yes ikiga or, or skype forever uh, your comments, please. You can hit us up on the forums. You can uh, uh, shoot us an email or uh, just let us know, and we'll be giving out that information at the end of the show. Mark. <laughs> all right. So I did uh, I did find the email, uh, and it was, as I said, I've been out of pocket all weekend, so I sent this from, from my phone to the guys. But uh, this is from Paul. Uh, we respond, uh, read Paul's email last episode maybe two ago. I don't remember which, uh, but he's referring – uh, back to our most recent episode, and uh, he says it would have been nice to have a comment regarding the need for an antivirus or not in Linux. Uh, Paul, that's something we've covered extensively uh, in the past. 
the short version is no at this point not really you don't need it that's not yeah, not the, really let's not say you won't ever but right now you don't yeah right now um there are some proofs of concepts that have been found but they're exploiting java in a way that you know you'd, you'd really have to be tra trolling some weird places to catch um but yeah, I don't think at this point right now, I don't think you really need an antivirus on a workstation for a Linux workstation. Now, a Linux server would be a different story because then you might want to have protection for your window clients. But as a window, as a Linux workstation, I don't think you need one yet. And uh, then he goes on to uh, to talk about the, the my takes me to task a little bit. Uh, he says, I thought your rationales for charging more for a Linux-based computer, we talked about Dell, is now uh, going back to selling Ubuntu-based machines again. Uh, your rationale made little sense to me. Uh, charging more for a free OS is simply a way for them to make more money. Uh, or perhaps, conspiracy theory, they have an agreement with Microsoft not to undersell similarly equipped computers with Windows. Actually, I think we did talk about that, about the fact that they do have agreements uh, with Microsoft and and that uh, they take a financial hit, but I think you're referring to me uh, talking about how it could have a uh, uh, a psychological effect of making them seem like premium computers. Uh, I, I didn't say that was their business model. I just said I think it might be a possible upside uh, that that the uh, the people who don't know anything, which is most computer buyers, frankly, about Linux, might look at that and say it costs more. It must be better. And it could lead to the the potential uh, for you know a potentially good PR for Linux, yeah. right? And yeah, we mentioned several other things as well. I don't think we need to relist them now. But if you want to go back and listen, if you missed last show where we talked about that, um, you can pause us and queue it up and listen, and we'll wait. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he rever uh, refers to a review in OMG Ubuntu. Uh, he says, I thought it was reasonably positive, mentioning the speed of Mint and the clean interface. Uh, regarding the icons in the panel, he was correct in pointing out that they are less clear than the rest of the screen, uh, and you might check it out for yourselves. So um, I guess we should read that. Uh, lastly, regarding Mint versus Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mint is mind has a mind-boggling assortment of system adjusters that are confusing and frankly difficult to work with. Finding the right preferences or administration tools is a real bother. Ubuntu is simpler and easier to use and installs uh, with, for me, a better selection of software. So uh, that's Paul's view, and thanks for writing in, Paul. Uh, and to each his own. That's the beauty of the uh, open source world. There is something for everyone. Yep. Even satanic Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> or cinnamon Ubuntu, or mint, or whatever. Right. Just don't mix mint, cinnamon and mint. That's not good. Yeah, I'd leave a weird taste in your mouth that you couldn't hold and would have to spit out after three seconds, right. apparently. You ever you ever brush your teeth with a minty toothpaste and then go eat a cinnamon roll? Yeah, not not a pleasant combination. Yeah. No, I've never, uh, I've, I've never done that. I, I have a, a strict 30-minute rule with no eating after I brush my teeth. I don't know yeah. why. It's just what I do. I don't even want to comment on that. So, um, <laughs> see a yard mark. Come on. That was a softball. So we have a follow up from, uh, the story last week about, uh, Microsoft security essentials, uh, failing, uh, certification tests, uh, according to, uh, the tech spot, 
which I'm assuming is a blog or a website of some yes. sort. Uh, Security Essentials received a total of 10.5 out of 18 possible points, uh, ba- barely falling short of the 11 points necessary to receive a certification. Yeah, so it it failed, but it didn't like bomb the way um, all the headlines made it out to be. Uh, and the article we talked about last week just ma- said that it failed, and it never found. It never said by how much or anything. Right. And I just wanted to uh, bring a little bit of clarification because I I literally I wasn't even looking for it, and I found this story on Monday. So I was like, hey, I want to do a follow up and just you know, so ten point five. Uh, out of 18, when 11 is passing, so, you know, they failed, but that would be like a D, I guess. Uh, right, and, and, and not an F just a reminder, the, the place where they fell down was in the zero-day heuristic algorithms. The Microsoft have not invested significant effort in putting that in there, but in everywhere else, they were as good as the competition and in many places better. So right. just um, uh, fairness, that's all, that's all we're about here. Right. And Sometimes. just like just like soft other software and even operating systems, it kind of depends on what you do as to which one is best for you. So there we go. We're uh, we're fair and balanced here. Uh, so Fox News, if you want to sponsor us, <laughs> we're for rent. And uh, the rent, uh, huh? U.S. Patent and Trademark Office have threatened to or in the process of is really the better way to put it. Put it. They've begun the process of uh, declaring uh, some 20 claims of Apple's uh, multi-function patents um, invalid. Now, here's here's my problem with that. You freaking gave them the patents, U.S. No Patent kidding. and Trademark Office. Now you're going back and invalidating it. Why did you issue them in the first place? Yeah, our patent system, you know, it's I broken. Mean, you have well, you have to have some system, but a clerk sitting at a desk or a workstation or whatever who has no specialized training in software should not probably be involved in the software patent process. Just like a computer engineer uh, who has no idea of the first thing about automotive mechanics should not be involved in a mechanical car uh, process. You know, so instead of having a generalized patent staff that is responsible for all things patent. I think if you had, if you broke it up into specializations and even did like outside contracting and peer review and stuff like that. But yeah, so, you know, here's the thing, part of the patent that they're looking to invalidate is kind of one of the patents that Apple used in their uh, trial against Samsung. So if they won on the basis of this patent, um, if this patent gets invalidated, what does that do to the um, verdict? Right, because so. the the Samsung has already been ordered to pay based on their infringing of that patent. Right. So yeah. uh, that that would be interesting uh, if if it's then uh, reversed. Uh, the, it says that quote a first office action from the U.S. Patent and Trademark o- uh, Office is usually the first step of many in the process of re-examining a patent. Uh, so there's there's no guarantee that it's going to be invalidated. Uh, Ars Technica was just trying to grab some headlines there uh, when they said it may invalidate another patent. It's, they've just begun the process of looking at it, saying, you know, maybe we ought to have a look at that again. Right. Well, yeah, it looks like there's also some of the patents that Apple um, 
sued HTC about, or HTC and Motorola um, are in that group that they're re-evaluating too. So that might change HTC's and Motorola's issue with Apple as well. Well, HTC, they settled and cross-licensed with Apple. So yeah. I wonder if they can go back and say, well, the reason we settled was because you had this patent, and that patent's now invalid, so, you know. Well, it gives know. them some, at least some ammo in fighting that fight. Right. So, yeah, anyway, I just, uh, you know, we covered the Apple-Samsung trial. Uh, I don't want to say extensively, but we mentioned it regularly uh, on our show, and so this has bearing to that. So, you know, we want to keep our listeners abreast of a selection of the latest technology news anyway. And because we all know that I hang on every word that Richard M. Stallman says um, and, and wait for my marching orders from the great RMS, uh, I wanted to point out to you that Richard Stallman has called Ubuntu spyware because it tracks user searches. So there you go. Ubuntu is evil. Stallman says so. Right. Yes. Uh, and that was basically all the commentary I was going to give as well. Uh, he goes on to pretty much uh, lambast. This is my big word for the day. Uh, to lambast uh, Shuttleworth and Canonical canonical about uh even putting it in there and just how they're selling out user privacy uh all to make money with and for amazon and from amazon and of so. course when stallman speaks people listen and uh mark shuttleworth responded immediately by saying that canon- canonical plans to increase the use of the tracking feature in order to deliver an expanded internet search results in the next vision version of ubuntu you remember the episode of Seinfeld where uh, George Costanza was just, uh, he and Jerry were talking and Jerry was saying, if the first thing you think is always wrong, say the opposite. And so for that one episode, he uh, he would do out of character. He ended up like, I think he got like a new job and like a hot girlfriend and stuff like that. Just because, and so I mean, like if Stallman, if everybody slams everything you say, you know, maybe stop and think for a second. Uh, how are they going to respond to this? Uh, it, it worked in my mind. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> uh, Stallman qu- uh, was quoted as saying, Ubuntu, a widely used and influential GNU slash Linux distribution, has installed surveillance code. When the user searches uh, her, interesting that he used a female, own local files for a string using Ubuntu desktop, Ubuntu sends the string to one of Canonical servers. Uh, Ubuntu uses the information about searches to show the user ads to buy various things from Amazon. Amazon commits many wrongs. By promoting Amazon, Canonical contributes to them. However, the ads are not the core of the problem. The main issue is the spying. Canonical says it does not tell Amazon who searched for what. However, it's just as bad for Canonical to collect your personal information as it would have been for Amazon to collect it. End quote. You know, honestly, though, he does have a point. He usually does. Yeah. It's usually really far off and to the far ends of the the reaching. But at this point, he did have a point. You know, and I I tend to agree with him from this standpoint. I think you should have to opt in to give away your privacy instead of having to dig through settings you don't even know are there in order to protect some semblance of it. So – 
Uh, I agree with him in that aspect. And of course, you can even go to stallman.org slash Amazon, and he has a list of reasons why not to buy from Amazon, starting with the fact that they sell things in PDF format, and that's bad. That's literally his very first point. Amazon uses ebooks mm. designed to attack your freedom, PDF and HTML. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Actually, I think those are just uh, links to other things he's written, but the way it reads is that he doesn't like PDF. So anyway, so uh, I'm actually bullish on Amazon, particularly lmnopi.com slash Amazon, and encourage you to do all of your shopping there, not just uh, not just some of it, everything. Buy everything through Amazon. Through elementop.com slash Amazon with the upfront knowledge that you chose to go there and they will track your search. <laughs> That's right. So it's not like it's not like you have this secret stash of porn you want to index and somehow it got out that you have, I don't know, deep throw 89 or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, you know, you're not doing it on your own computer. You're doing this on the interwebs and has such everything you say will be recorded um, for all the world to see. 89? Why not 69? Interesting. <laughs> you know, I, and that was the thought that immediately followed <laughs> the word 89 coming out of my mouth. I was like, I should have went for 69 there, but um, sorry, I didn't. Uh, That's didn't okay. Think. So anyway, um, you know, to each his own. And I again, I, I will say this. I, I know it, I'm slamming uh, Stallman, and I know he doesn't care that I'm slamming him, but uh, um, the dude stands by his principles. He knows what he believes and he will accept no alternatives and he lives his life by his principles. And, and I can't argue with that. That's, that's awesome. I just happen to disagree with large chunks of what he believes in. And that's your ability as well. That's right. Um, and did you know, Seth, did you know that you already support open source? I did not before uh, coming across this article, but um, apparently the White House um, has a presence on Drupal.org, and they um, they are involved in that open source project. They have uh, submitted apps as well as released source code, and uh, they're working with members of the Drupal community. So I think it's I think it's cool. Uh, you know, if you know me personally, I, I'm not a big fan of the current political administration, but this is one thing they're doing that I can really get behind. Uh, you know, they are they're giving back to the community, which seems to me our form of government would kind of mandate that. But um, the, their We the People website, you know, where you can petition the White House for things, it runs off of Drupal, and uh, they work also have a project on GitHub. So it's just really cool to see that I'm, you know, of course, gov I think that government should have some secrets um, because everybody on the planet doesn't need to know everything, but in something like this where they're being open and they're giving back and they're not only working with the community, but they're giving back to refine and develop the product and make it better. Just seems like a really cool thing. So, um, let me uh, stick this one in there. Um, I just want to go ahead and stick this link in the sh in the uh, chat room, which if you're on our in our chat room, I put the link in there where they just talk about the uh, open source 
that the White House is using. So, you know, it ties in with our whole open source and Linux show. And the lead in there with you are supporting it, meaning that everything the U.S. government does, the U.S., the citizens of the of the United States pay for. So Right. Um, get One way or another. Right. Uh, and then here's an interesting hypothetical question from a man who is known to be incendiary uh, in the Linux community. Uh, Brian Lunduke. Uh, software developer, open source guy, asked the question, what if Linux went open source? Would you still use source. it? Excuse me, closed source. Would you still use it? So all the hype, all the talk about uh, freeness and freedom and openness and if it's and all of that, would you still use Linux if it were closed source? Or would you even notice? Because in this article, he makes a point of, you know, he doesn't download and look at the source code of Firefox or LibreOffice, but those are open source. The source code is out there. You can look at it. You can download it. You can change whatever you want to recompile it and run it yourself. But how many people do that? I personally have never downloaded the source code. Um, you know, I might be able to pick out bits and pieces, but I would have no clue of what it did. And I would have to find a website somewhere that told me how to uh, recompile any changes I made. So it is an interesting thing. Um, you know, are you using it simply because it's open or are you using it because it's free or, you know, or because it's good? Uh it was a serious, interesting article. I posted a link in the chat room. I thought it was kind of interesting. And and I'll answer that. For me, um, my use of open source products. I'm going to choose my words carefully here. You, you should always never. You should never say always or never. Always. Uh, but <laughs> I. Yeah, there's never a time not to. Do I that. can't recall. I'll put it this way: a time that I've ever chosen to use something because of its openness. I have chosen to use it because of its um, cost-freeness. So if Linux went closed source but still didn't cost me anything, wouldn't make a difference to me. That's And I think that's most of us. I really do. Clearly, Stallman and his followers would immediately revolt and, and move on to other things. And that's good. The world needs those kind of people. I'm just not one of them. Well, they yeah. would probably have a breakdown and say, but it was submitted under the GNU license and you can't do it closed source and their head would explode trying right. to think about it. So <laughs> That's why it's a hypothetical. Chris, what do you think? Um, I, I Honestly, I think the lion's share of people, which me included, would be in your camp, Mark, where uh, you know most of us really probably wouldn't care um, as long as it's, can still, it's still the free, as in free beer. I think most people would probably still use it and not have a problem with it. Um, if they started charging a minor fee, I still think it would. Most people would still probably use it without a problem there, as long as we didn't get under the large fee like Microsoft. Um, but as far as would I still use it? Yeah, I probably would. Um, I balance between. I'm I'm definitely a. Uh, Operating source hopper. I bounce back and forth between Linux and Windows without too much an issue and do it all the time. So, um, yeah, I'm not a Stallmanite, so I wouldn't have a problem with it either way. But I have read, so I have looked at the open source. 
I may not know the programming language well enough to edit it, but I have opened up some of those and looked at them just to see what they were. Yeah. Uh, Lunduke, in what I think is uh, the the summary sentence in his article, says, here's what I've come to so far. I use the software I use, including Linux, because it was made by nerds for nerds. And as it turns out, I'm a bit of a nerd. So this software speaks to me. It resonates with me. So uh, he, he goes, he says he would use it even if it weren't open source. And I'm with you, Brian. Yeah. Uh, like, and like we, Mark, we both kind of hit on this and Seth, you too. You know, honestly, I think we probably all would. I, I don't know any of us that are that heavy in the f- open sources and free speech um, that it would really partake too much on us. Right. And then this next story I want to do because it it's, it's uh well I think it dovetails nicely with what we were just talking about uh and it hits me personally. Uh Google Apps no longer has a free component. They used to have uh up to 25 users was free, then they dropped that number down to 10 users was free. Now no such thing. There is no free Google Apps as of January 1st. Well, it's uh, uh, for business. Um, and my understanding of the article is that it doesn't uh, change existing No, customers. it doesn't. But see, so I, have it, a, I, have a, I have an account, thecockrolls.net. That's my Google Apps account. And they sent me an email and said, just letting you, letting you know, you're grather, grandfathered in here. Nothing's going to change. But I don't have a business account. Um, I just have the regular Google Apps account. And they said, this, this type of account is going away. So I think when they say business, they mean not education. It's they right. still have free education accounts, but everybody else is going to pay. Um, and the last time I checked, I think it was fifty bucks per user per year. Yeah, which yes. is you know it's not bad, but for my family, you know, family of five, uh, five email accounts. The I, I'm not going to pay two hundred fifty bucks to use Google Apps, um, and that's a shame because I, it can't cost them fifty dollars per person per year. Uh, but they're saying you can still go get, you know, a Google Docs account. It's just not going to be Google Apps. It's not going to be in your own domain. So I can yeah. still use uh, a Gmail account, and I can still use uh, um, Google Apps. But I like having everything in my own domain. I like having uh, that level of control over the the you know the the DNS and and all that sort of stuff. And and now I'm going to have to pay for that. If I try to do it again, but right, I have the cockerels dot com. Uh, we have uh, a Google Apps domain for it uh, for our email uh, because it's it's handy and it's a little frustrating that they're taking that away. But you know, there is a they they are in the business of making money. Yes, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are in the business. So you know, they're they're not in the uh, philanthropy there. So. But it just, yeah, I, I, I lament the loss of the home user. And, yeah. and, and that's, or, or, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I, I kind of feel sorry for it too, because, you know, as a fledgling business, I was going to start a Google Apps account um, with my own domain name. But now I'm going to have to look at other ways to do things. So that kind of makes me sad too. Right. And I have looked many times for uh, open source alternatives to Google Docs. Uh, that that you know, or, or things that you could host on your own servers, 
uh, back when I was in school. I, I, I wanted to move stuff off of Google servers and put it on our servers just to satisfy the people who question the legality of that. Uh, and, and, you know, and just because uh, geeks like to have things under their own control as much as possible. And there are solutions out there, but none of them are as good as Google Docs, including Microsoft's own uh, solution. I forget what they call it. Um, their shared Office 365, and that's it, yeah. um, is not as good as Google Docs. And they're a multi-billion dollar company. These open source products uh, haven't come close in my, you know, my, it's been a while. It was probably a year ago that I last looked. So maybe that's not true anymore. Did you look at Zimbra? They're probably yes. one of the names. Zimbra is one of the about. ones I looked at. Yeah. Let's say Zimbra, maybe Zoho. Yep. Yep. Zoho is the one that I, that steps up as the next one that I would look at, um, as far as collaboration material. But I think even Zoho wouldn't match Google's docs or yeah. the their whole umbrella of stuff and this this fits right in with their plusification of everything they really want to make google plus everything and so uh and you can't do that on a branded corporate you know the cockerels.net that's not an option uh right. so they want it to be google.com for everything so my family can still have that uh functionality I, they can still have google apps they can still have gmail accounts um and you know, and I can still run redirectors to bounce mail to them and all that, but it's it's not going to be the same, and that frustrates me. Hmm. Uh, I think we're going to end the news with that happy story, uh, <laughs> and move on to our look at at DSL. Um, I will preface this by saying I haven't looked at it recently. I have looked at DSL uh, a while back. Um, and when I was looking for small Linux distributions, what's interesting is the, uh, the S in DSL small has sort of been abandoned, um, to some degree or another, uh, originally, you know, uh, puppy Linux and DSL and there were, uh, there was tiny Linux. I think there were a couple of them. Their goal was to be, uh, bootable and runnable from a floppy drive. Uh, obviously nobody mm. used floppy drives anymore, uh, but because we have more space available to us, they've sort of abandoned that initial charter of being tiny. Now they're, they're still small by comparison to other Linux Linuxes, uh, but not the same. So anyway, I, I will have some comments throughout, but they won't be um, anything new. Like I said, I've been away. So uh, Chris, you start us off. Well, when I loaded up, just to start with uh, the download size for the ISO is 50 megs. And, 50 megs is not much space at all anymore. I mean, that's that's tiny. That fits on, I don't know, what's the smallest thumb drive you get for free nowadays? Yeah, or CD um, card, uh, business card size CD is one of the things they yeah, put Oh, yeah. Um, they'll they'll easily fit on any of that stuff. Um, it, it's, it's almost shocking that they can have such a robust system for such a small uh, amount of, of download space. Um, I was really impressed with... You know, a lot of the things that I was looking at it as me as a school administrator for of, of my school network, what would I use this for? And then also I looked at it as, you know, if, if I needed something to clean up a machine, would I use this for that? Or, you know, I, I kind of went at it from a different from a few different ways. Um, 
the first of things that I will say is, you know, it does the software isn't the newest versions of anything out there. Um, for example, Firefox, they, which is on this thing, but is also it's considered version two of Firefox. Right, and it's rebranded to something or other. I can't remember. Yeah, Bon Echo is what it's rebranded yeah, to. Um, and there's also, uh, I mean, it's 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 just what it is. It's a very slimmed down, super tiny uh, Linux distribution for use in low, really low end machines, or if you're trying to pull stuff off of it. Um, it this. I personally didn't have a use for. I would not have a use for this particular pr- version of Linux, um, but man, there's a lot of tools in here that I didn't think, you know, that that ju- it just surprised me with how many tools are here, and how user friendly it is um, for being so small. And it's also got uh, lots of server stuff on it. So they one of the things yeah. they they like to tout is that you could run a a web server uh, with with MySQL and PHP and the whole bit, or an FTP server uh, off of a live CD. So you pop that in, and it's literally incorruptible because it's running as a live CD. Right. Yeah, it, it just it's. I was really impressed with it. You know, I could see using it as um, an emergency CD, like if you needed to jump into a machine to pull data off or to move data off of a machine. This would work really great for it because you could, um, for how geeky we get, we could open up an FTP server right off the damn small Linux distro and FTP out of it, you know, right then and there. Uh, or if you, for whatever reason you wanted to, there's also the uh, RDP protocol clients built into it, a VNC clients built into it, um, email, web browsing. Uh, there's just lots. It, it, it's it's kind of one of those Swiss, Swiss Army Knife CDs where you could pretty much do anything with it, but it won't do anything, any one thing really well. I guess would be the best way I could look at this. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's it's was originally, you know, you got to go way back, designed to uh, run on very low power processors. In fact, lower power than many cell phones today. Uh, was yeah. was what it was originally designed to run. So it's that not, would be cool a DSL phone. <laughs> yeah. So it's not flashy, um, but it works. So uh. GUI kid, tell us about the uh, the GUI experiences uh, with DSL. Well, I went old school on this. I pulled out some of my business card CDs, and it did fit on my business card CD. And uh, I just recently purchased an old computer and got it working. So a Celeron one gig processor with um, uh, like I upgraded the RAM so it has 756, and DSL flew on it. It installed quick. Because, you know, I mean, like, you could write the source code with a pencil nub. It's so small. But um, <laughs> it booted up quick. Uh, it detected my uh, – it detected the network port. It did not detect my wireless card, so I was bummed about that. And the first time I booted it up, I did not have my USB mouse installed, so I was stuck using the trackpad. Um the only way I could figure out to get it to recognize it was I just rebooted it. Um, it came up. I tried the different web browsers. The problem is if you're going to go online and do things, I this is not the browser for you because like my Yahoo mail account, 
it recognized that I had an old unsupported browser. And so I got it let me in using the old Yahoo interface, um, but I couldn't do the new one. I couldn't even get to my um, my Gmail account because it Gmail was just uh, Google could not render in the browsers that it was using. Um, I tried to watch uh, YouTube videos. I couldn't because it was an unsupported browser. So if you're going to go online and do things, this is not the thing for you. But if you want to have a self-contained device, the uh, word processing program, it was simple. Um, don't think Microsoft Word. Think something like uh, Notepad++. Uh, right. And again, the uh, spreadsheet, not full-blown Excel, but it is a spreadsheet. Um, you know, this would be something great for younger kids because it has – you know, it has some games. Of course, they're mostly uh, mostly card games, but a few others that you can play right off the CD. So um, it's got a VoIP client in there. It's got a, right. a picture editor, uh, X Paint, I believe it, it is. Right. Um, yeah, they aim to have a full suite of tools that you can use. It's got a PDF reader, um, and it does have a GUI interface uh, using Fluxbox. I think is the the default, but it's also got. Uh, uh, Ice WN maybe on it JWM. Um, I love this. Go ahead, Seth. I was gonna say you can do anything you need to through the GUI, but it definitely shows that the last major release was over four years ago. Um, I if you are a puppy user and you think back to Puppy Four um, and how much it changed to Puppy Five, you're going back to Puppy Four whenever you pop DSL in. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's not the polished and pretty that people seem to love today, but it is functional if somewhat limited. And to make the command line Godfather happy, there's an AOL client in there for, for AOL Instant Messenger called Ooh. Name, and it's a client. It's a terminal-based AOL uh, client. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even have Pigeon or, or even... Uh... Uh, what is the command line version? Of, uh, it's not Pigeon. It's oh, come on, guys, give me a hand here. What's the Pigeon? What's the... One of the things you can, one of the packages available, because uh, there it does have several additional packages that you can download from its repositories. I didn't do any of that because I didn't want to install it. I just wanted to just see what it was like off the hard drive, I mean, off the CD, but it does have some additional packages that you can add. And if I remember correctly, I, I think Pigeon was one of them. Yeah, it's but, there, but you know, we're just talking about by default. You can do I, almost uh, any Debian-based package. It, it's, it is Debian. Um, it's not stock Debian. It doesn't have everything that Debian has, so... You know your mileage may vary, but anything that's in a .dot deb format, you can at least give a shot at installing on this. I mean, you could, right. yeah. if you wanted to, you could throw the full blown LibreOffice on there, but that install Ooh. would be bigger than your entire OS at that point. Right. Yep. So but, you know, it was cool. I was surprised at how well it worked um, on my machine, but again, it it was kind of limited by today's standards. I can't believe that it's running with only 25 processes. When I'm looking at, you know, because it's got the little tecker on the on the right hand side, and it tells you how many processes and RAM that it's using. It's using 25. It has 25 processes running, and only 24 megs of RAM being used. 
So yeah, it is. It's tiny. It's some might say damn small. That's right. <laughs> yes. But uh, you know, for I would say this would make a good recovery CD at best. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you put this with something like um, the Arduino, you know, small chip, small OS, it starts to make more sense for purpose-built appliances. I want yeah. to do, I want something that will do X and only X, and I don't care about Y or Z. Um, and that's where DSL comes in real handy, or uh, or like you said, uh, Chris, for recovery. It's a great thing to have in your bag of tricks. Uh, but uh, as Seth has already said, my my heart belongs to the puppy, and that's where I'm always going to go. Yeah, yeah. I think I think puppy would be a better tool for recovery than this. Um, but puppy is three I, times the size. So yes, it's, it's gigantic it's 100, at 150. It's over 150 megs, people! Wow. <laughs> you could still put nearly four of them on a regular CD. Right. Well, the reason I also think that it'd be better—it's not very good for a like a recovery—is because, you know, I have my home network here that I can't even, I can't even, you know, do an SMB into, to try to jump into a, a network share that I have. So, unless you're going to USB device, you know, that's about all the farther you're going to get with this. Because I don't think the Samba files are in. And you can buy it on, uh, they sell USB sticks with it pre-installed and ready to go, which is, you know, neither here nor there. It's, it's kind of cool that it's yeah, there. Yeah, it is available for free. You can download it for free, but if you would like to support them, they do. you can buy the CDs or you can get a USB pen drive with it preloaded on there. So, it, it, you know, again, I think it, I like it for the novelty value. I don't like it for the functionality because I think you get more functionality uh, with other OSs. And the reason for DSL, the the size limitations of media available to you doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. Um, You know, again, I don't say abandon it, but I think it's a cool novelty. Um, And I hope it stays around and I hope it stays about this size just so we can pop into it from time to time and see what it can do. Um, but I wouldn't use it seriously. Well, I mean, we were talking about this a little while back, is, is now um, we've solved these types of problems, these space right. problems uh, on the PC. Now we're moving those into the mobile market. So you're going to start seeing, uh, like I said earlier, the cell phones today are the PCs that this was designed to work on, and so you're, right. you're going to start seeing these uh, uh, purpose-built computers, uh, handheld devices, uh, you know, watches and and necklaces and headphones that are going to need um, things like this. Uh, and if it's not it's not for a desktop user, uh, yeah, the, de- the desktop not. user has moved beyond that. Originally, when it was first built, that's exactly what it was for. Uh, right. But the desktop user has moved on and and left. DSL in the past, and that's okay. It's just going to have to be reborn uh, in in a new fashion. Going through the uh, package manager, there is a lot of software you can download from the repositories. There's a lot more than I was expecting to look through. Um, grant in there again, though, these aren't very new versions. Like the Firefox that is listed in here is 
Firefox 1.5. So 1.5. We're now on 15. Yeah, but you know, uh, ten of those came out in the last day. So <laughs> you know, you're not really going back in time that far for 1.5. So I'm going to have to Google that. What is the current version of Firefox? I don't even know. Yeah, don't look on your machine or it will automatically update if it's available. So. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know. Uh, what is the. Ah, I don't know. I, never mind. 17. 17. 1701. Okay. 1701. I just looked it up. So it was 15, like Seth said, a couple of days ago. Um, that, the version numbering thing got out of hand. Yeah, they they wanted to compete with Chrome because Chrome has passed them in market share, right. and they're like, oh, which you know, would you rather would you rather be browsing on Chrome four hundred and eighty nine or Firefox eight? You know, so uh, we got to put our numbers up there too. It's the whole reason Microsoft came out with their Xbox two, but they didn't call it Xbox two because it would have been complete, competing against the PlayStation three, so they called it three sixty. So you know, just to uh, you know, it's all marketing. It's 357 technology. better right. than the PlayStation 3. Right. Um, back to damn small Linux, though. What is funny, though, is the version, the change log for Firefox, just as an example, the change log was written 8 2 of 06. Right. If so, it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's evidently. Right. It does have Bluetooth ability, though. It does have the Bluetooth. Um, modules so yeah this could be used as a full out desktop if you really really had to not awesome. recommended these these are not the recommendations of element op network no right but you know for it <laughs> in a novelty concept i i think i honestly think that's the only way yeah but again, it, it, it's not that you can't use it. I just think there are better tools out there. And, and and like you said, the problems this addressed and did an awesome job of addressing have been solved in other ways. Well, let me put it this way. As far as I know, Richard Stallman has never written an impassioned blog post against DSL. So there you go. <laughs> it wins. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, that was it. Uh, it wasn't much of a look, but honestly, there's not much to look at. It's a small, yeah, it's pretty, it's you pretty know, tiny. If, if we did review time versus Meg of uh, <laughs> the OS, we just spent a disproportionately huge amount of time right. on DSL. That that was our damn small review of damn small Linux. It's a great show title. Yeah, one I will never use. Um, <laughs> Actually, I've said that word more in this podcast than I have like in the last year and a half of my life. <laughs> Corruption, one EDL <laughs> person at a time. Uh, so my my this I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there. Doesn't have anything to do with anything. If you're if you're wanting further Linux content, this show's over. Good night, everybody. Nice talking to you. Um, I was watching a show the other day that. Uh, had some words in it that we don't normally use around our house. Uh, and it was it was on television. It wasn't, you know, they weren't dropping the F-bomb left and right, but it was just words that we don't ordinarily use. Uh, and my daughter, my 10-year-old, asked about that word. You know, what does it mean and why are they using it? Uh, and it, 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 we had an interesting discussion. And, and, and basically my take on that is there are um, 
certain low, you know, and I put this in in ten year old ease, but the, it's, uh, there are lowest common denominator words that are the base level that everybody understands. Um, they're not refined, and you can always use them in any situation. You know, how many times have have you heard a guy use the f bomb? 16 times in a sentence you know it's just it's it's the pause it's the it's the thing you can use anywhere it can mean anything it's like smurf it can mean anything um you put it anywhere yeah and uh and she she asked how come we don't use those words and i said because i believe that language should be um used properly and that you should pick the best word for the situation and these words that they're using are almost never the best word. Sometimes they are. Sometimes you need to express something that can best be expressed by dropping the F-bomb. And in those times, okay. You know, when I'm watching a, a Vietnam War flick and a guy's under fire, I don't expect him to say, those gosh darn helicopters are shooting us, dang it. Um, you know, they're, I, and I'm okay with that. Brian, um, could you be a deer and possibly bring anti-aircraft to bear? <laughs> sure, Tom. <laughs> Let me get right on that for you. Have a swell day. So uh, you awesome. know that would be hilarious to watch. When, when I talk hear. about uh, uh, you know that that kind of language and and you know that I, I liked I, I I may give the air of, of that I'm above it because I think I am and I think we all are. That is that is the lowest common human denominator of speech. It's right up there above, you know, uh, grunts and moans. Uh, and so, just don't use it, people. There's no point. You're not doing anybody any favors. You're not making yourself look better in any way. Um, so anyway, that's my my little rant about that. And the lesson that I am trying to teach my children is that you 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 use the best word for the situation, and they are always almost always have more than four letters. All right, that, sure, I'm done with go. that. So, uh, Chris, do you Here, have a... Com- you go ahead. I was going to say, you're, you're done with your soapbox for this episode? For, for the are moment. You, I'm gonna. I'm not putting it away yet. I'm are you just, sure? I'm just stepping off of it. I'm not putting it away yet. Uh, do you have a command line for us, Mr. Command Line Godfather? Um, I would if I could remember what the stupid tool is for Pigeon. That is the, That was my command line, and I, I can't think of it. It's like... It's a bird. Let me see if I can find it in my box, in my Linux box. I I, I know Finch. I have it installed. I just don't remember what the Finch. Damn. Finch. That's it. The Finch. That's it. Yes, if you absolutely needed to use Instant Messenger while you're in a terminal session, that would be the program for you. Wow. It works well, actually. It's surprisingly how well it works, to tell you the truth. So this is a command line instant messaging tool. Yes. Okay. Can you do video? How's that for fun? <laughs> Sorry. I just yeah. Really? I, I don't. I don't even know. I'm. But yeah. Seth, do you have a link for us this week? I do. Um, I this is an old site now, but if you are a a student of the history of the internet, perhaps you have heard of John T. Tor. J-O-H-N-T-I-T-O-R, JohnTTor.com. In between, from late 2000 to early 2002, a guy was on various forums uh, on the internet claiming to be a time traveler 
from the year 2036 and um, he interacted with members of those communities at that time and uh, he gave several predictions that you know a couple of them you could say uh, he might have been right but most of them were way off base um, but when I first heard about this guy it was from a guy I worked with back in 2002 so it had just happened and it was it's an interesting conversation and I think it's an interesting read because they have gone back and collected his the, the chats with him and put them in chronological order. And you can go and kind of read the story and give the it tells about the timeline and the supposed American Civil War and we were nuked by the Russians and uh, mad cow disease and all that kind of stuff. So uh, John Titor dot com a time traveling visitor from the year 2036 um again I, I i am not telling you time travel is possible or this guy was because it whether it's possible or not i'm pretty sure this guy wasn't it but it's an interesting read and just read it it is it's interesting um that that's what i that's all i had to say about i that. think i remember this guy he worked for the mob and his job was to shoot people who were sent back in time as soon as they landed. Uh, right? Wasn't that it? No? No. That 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 movie was loosely based on him, I think. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was just cool. I, uh, you know, the, the site is still up. Like I say, just go and click on and, and just, just read his chats and... Well, at least he knew enough about the future to not put it on GeoCities. So maybe he was onto something. Right. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so uh, cool. It was, and like I say, uh, many of the pro the predictions were set. You know, of course, when I read them, uh, he hadn't predicted anything in 2002 or 2003. Everything was like for 2004 and 5 and on. And uh, when I first came across it, it, it had the interesting, I wonder if it will happen aspect that isn't there today because, you know, there's several things that have happened that he said wouldn't or, and that, you know, he totally missed. Uh, but anyway, johntitor.com is a, is an interesting read. So, you know, if you have a tablet or something, I don't know, cue it up um, whenever you're going to be, well, I'm just going to stop there. If you got some time to kill... <laughs> Were, were you just talking about the throne room? Was that where you were going with that? Yes. Yeah. Uncle John's was, big bathroom reader. Yeah. com. Interesting. That's my link of the week. I don't know. I, I don't always share Seth's opinion of what is interesting, but uh, look on the bright side. It should work on any device because there's not going to be any flash or anything like that because it wasn't invented yet. Yeah, I didn't think about trying it in uh, DSL. I, I should have. Sorry. <laughs> that would have been entertaining. But yeah, this is it's a site definitely for if you wanted to waste time. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're going to – you can go out and buy a, a science fiction book uh, or you can – think of it like I'm going to read a science fiction short story and read this and just in, in – enjoy it if you're into science fiction i think you would enjoy reading this all right well it is science fiction <laughs> so everybody go read john and come back and uh, let us know what you thought about it 
you can uh, do that by going to elementop.com and clicking on the contact us button at the top of the page, just like our friend Paul did for two weeks in a row. Uh, and you see, we read his stuff on the show because we're that hard up for content. Uh, no, <laughs> here's interesting. Th- this will be an interesting assignment. I-, I like to make an assignment for the audience. Uh, <gasps> we are closing out on the year 2012. Send us your predictions in honor of John Titor for 2013. And we'll come back at the end of the year. We won't because I'll never remember to. And uh, look at those predictions and see who was right and who was wrong. And who is dead? Uh, so anyway, if we if we make it that long, because you know the world's supposed to end here, but the twenty first is at the end of the world. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. There's a there's a, a movie I saw coming out due to come out on December twenty second. I thought, wow, that's bad planning. I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They must. That movie's going to be the end of the world. That's terrible. Or it's great planning because nobody else is planning to do anything after the 21st. <laughs> so they're going to be like, what are we going to do? Hey, there's one movie we haven't seen yet. And so everybody's going to go watch that movie. Yeah. Well, uh, our, our recording date after that is December 23rd, 2012. I'll be here. I'm, I'm ready to make that promise to you now. I'll be here. And we'll have a show that'll come out on December 26th. Cause the sci-fi channel did the uh, 12 catastrophe the 12 disasters of christmas that tied the mayan doomsday prophecy into the song the 12 days of christmas <laughs> really i missed and the that thing was it as far as far as sci-fi movies go it was okay so compared to the other sci-fi movies that are out there i, I don't want to say it's good but in comparison to the other sci-fi movies it's good so again, that's a low bar, yes. but it does cross over. That yeah, bar. for a movie on sci-fi, that goes back to approaching that lowest common denominator that right, we were talking definitely. about earlier. Mothman, uh, the giant snake, or uh, the things they come up with. But hey, they got to fill twenty-four hours of programming, and yeah. uh, and A and E owns Duck Dynasty, so they don't have <laughs> they don't have that. <laughs> so anyway, elementopi.com, that's where you can comment with us. You can uh, leave us a f- uh, voicemail uh, at the uh, leave us a voicemail widget. You can call 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail there. You can send us an email uh, or just, hey, stop by. My door's always open. Not literally. Um, but <laughs> it, uh, that would be interesting. Anybody want to be on the show? How about, how about a, uh, a listener spotlight? We've done maybe one of those two. Uh, in the history of the show. I'd love to do some more. You want to be on the show? Come on. Give us a ring. Give us a call. Send us a mail. Say, yes, pick me. But uh, somebody go out there in the forums and create that thread. Predictions for 2012. And let's see how many we can get right. I predict a new iPhone. And should we use Akiga or Skype? Yes. Should we try to get Akiga working or just stick with Skype? Or both. Ooh. Ooh, interoperability. Then it would be in stereo, <laughs> stereo, stereo. Um, I'm done, guys. I'm tired. I'm through talking to you. Good night. Mm, okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. So uh, on behalf of Chris Neves and Seth Anderson, I will say thanks for listening. And that ends this episode of whatever the show is. Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.